old pilot's plain tales, where it all began. Right, thanks everybody for coming. At first uh, glance, it seems a little bit limited for a venue, but this place holds great memories uh, for me. First of all, a bit about APG. It's a community that has grown out of Captain Jeff's very strong wish to bring us all, whether an enthusiast or a plane spotter, a flight sim pilot or a GA pilot or even an esteemed airliner captain, uh, all together in a mutual love of uh, all things that fly, even balloons. Your presence here is a, a tangible indication of uh, his continued success and I trust you all feel part of the podcast, technical difficulties and 50% accuracy notwithstanding. Before I uh, start, I want to thank the fine folks here at Fair Oaks Airport, the Hangar Cafe, uh, which I am sure if you haven't already, you'll uh, partake of, and uh, especially Fair Oaks Flight Center, and introduce to you Grace, who is going to tell us a bit about Synergy Aviation. Now, Grace is doing the job that I took on my very first aviation gig nearly half a century ago. In this very building beside me, I can't believe it's still standing. Uh, but at least she doesn't have to clean out the toilets or wash the airplanes like uh, I had to. She's working on her PPL with ambitions of becoming a commercial pilot, and I'm sure we all wish her well. Grace, perhaps you'd like to say a few words. So I'm lucky enough to work at Synergy Flight Centre, which is not only somewhere that I love to work because I love aviation, but it's also a family business. My dad set up Synergy when I was, actually it was before I was born, I think, a few months before. So it's 18 years old now, and as you can see, it's thriving very well. And we actually have a flight centre down in Jersey as well now, which has been set up recently. Um, and actually one of the aircraft here, I believe, is going down in a couple of months. And it's just, Ferrex is a great place, although, as it's been said, it may look a little bit rugged sometimes. There's not been, you know, there's bits of paintwork missing, but the community here is brilliant. Like, the, even in the flight centre, okay, it's for exams, it's for briefings before you go flying. But actually, I've made friends here since I started, and I've seen many other people make friends. It's great for connections and business and anything in that kind of sense. And it's, it's just a great place to be, which is really nice. We have some brilliant instructors who I know that our students would agree with, um, and they put in a lot of extra time and effort, which is really lovely to see. There's no way other I can put it than I love this place. Like, I will spend my weekends here even when I'm not working. Hopefully, my dad is over there with my little sister. Hopefully one day she'll be into it as well. And then we can have three generations around. Um, but it, it's even great for me learning to fly. I get to see um, my dad as well because um, he's an instructor here. He actually instructed here before it was Synergy Flight Centre and getting to have my dad teach me to fly is something quite special. And I can't lie, having him as a pilot and growing up with him around has definitely been a big inspiration of what I want to do. Not just because of that, but he introduced me to the love of aviation and aircraft. And I can say some of my fondest memories are actually around aircraft with dad. And it's just, you know, they're not memories you get to create with most people and I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. Before I had one friend come, we had a competition day uh, a couple of months ago in July um, with spot landings and time circuit. You had to meet a circuit. Don't worry, it wasn't the fastest circuit. It was all safe. <laughs> um, 
and people who don't like aviation just like the airfield because it is a nice place to be which is really lovely it is just a lovely place to be don't know if there's anything else you want me to say that's fantastic thanks grace brilliant One thing uh, we try and do in all our podcasts is to encourage people from outside of the norm that we might imagine airline pilots be, you know, white middle-aged men. Um, We like to see young ladies who have a real interest in aviation. It's absolutely fantastic. So well done, Grace, and uh, good luck with your career. I hope it goes as smoothly as mine did. Talking of my career... uh, I started here uh, on the 17th of July 1973 and I was 19 years old, so a little younger than Grace perhaps, I'm not sure. I'd I'd won an RAF scholarship to go flying. They were going to pay for 30 hours of tuition and the school they sent me to was then called Fair Oaks School of Flying, but this was the spot. I really lapped it up. I was already fantastically keen on getting an aviation career and this seemed to be an ideal starting point. Uh, After only seven hours, 35 minutes, Mike Spear, the uh, very brave chief flying instructor, got out and left me to uh, fly the little Cessna 150 Aerobat all on my own. And shortly after, uh, another in our merry band of cadets went solo, Uh, but sadly his flight didn't end quite as well as mine had when he got into a bit of a pilot-induced oscillation on his first landing, and uh, before he knew it, he'd managed to fold the nose wheel. Uh, the, <laughs> the nose wheel on the Cessna 150 wasn't meant to fold, but he managed it, and with a bit of a bent prop and a lot of grass flying around, he ground to a halt in the middle of the runway. There you go. He went on and passed the course, so well done to him. All was going well until uh, about 11 days after we started. Uh, the word came round that a Cessna Cardinal with a retractable undercarriage had hit his gear on a dry stone wall, getting airborne out of an airfield or a rough strip in Ireland. As the story goes, uh, the poor pilot left the parking brake on and full power roared off across the grass. It was wet enough to let him roll, as it were, but he never really got to flying speed. Uh, he hit the brick stone wall at the end, which wrecked the gear, but he carried on, got airborne, and then with his undercarriage dangling like two limp puppet's legs, he decided that he was going to bring it all the way back here to Fair Oaks, because that's where he got it from, I'm assuming. Anyway, yep, plenty of notice. By the time that he arrived in the circuit, all the, the airfield had basically been shut. There were pile of fire engines here, uh, at least three of those enormous tenders, and more than ambulances than he had passengers on board. So the place was well prepared. He came in on the main runway, grass in those days, nowadays it's uh, been tarmacked over, and did the most beautiful job. He uh, shut the engine down at about 50 feet, glided in, plopped it down on the runway, the gear just gently collapsed into the wheel wells and he ground to a halt, smacked in the middle of the runway. We were all standing around a, one of the aircraft, we turned the radio on listening to what was going on and we thought that was marvellous. So on that big high, we all walked away and someone on the main runway, air traffic, was saying, well, the crosswind runway is available, 3-3 in those days, uh, which, you know, up that end of the airfield. And an aircraft with an assistant instructor on board, 
a condor. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those low wing uh, wooden canvas wonder with a sadly a passenger who was taking his very first 30 minute uh, experience flight on board. They uh, lined up on 3-3. Even though he had a radio, the chap was going on a non-radio flight, wasn't talking to uh, air traffic here. And uh, he had one go at getting airborne and decided that he wasn't quite going to make it. So he stopped, taxied back down to the full length, put his flaps down this time and had another go. Now, very sadly, he got to the ridge line that is just off the end of that old runway and there were some 50-foot tall trees there. And trying to stagger over the trees, he didn't quite make it. He stalled the aircraft, it flipped onto its back and disappeared behind the trees. The first that I knew of it, we'd just been walking away really from the flight line, was uh, the old klaxon going off at the tower. And when just a, an hour or two earlier, we'd had more emergency facilities you could shake a stick at, now there was just the old red Land Rover with a big old barrel of foam on the back and the friend of mine, the refueler, um, hanging onto it for dear life as they drove off the airfield to try and see if they could help. All us cadets, we ran over there, but when we got there, there was nothing we could do. There was just a big patch of burnt grass. The aircraft didn't even look like an aeroplane anymore. It was just charred framework. Uh, and sadly, the pilot had been killed and the passenger had been thrown clear of the wreckage, but he died in hospital afterwards. Something of a shocking sight for us because of all the fire and the uh, remnants thereafter. Um, but the chief flying instructor, Mike, did, uh, I think, a very clever thing. He got us all together, having uh, seen all this, and said, right, uh, I'm going to put you in the airplane and we're all going to fly a 10-minute flight. A bit like getting back on the horse after you've been thrown. And we all did a couple of circuits and, uh, you know, got out of our system. And I th always thought that that was a, a very uh, clever thing to do, to uh, not allow us ponder on what had happened, but get us back in the air. Less than a month after I arrived, I'd qualified for my PPL. And a month after that, I was employed by Farrick School of Flying. And so began my career in aviation. Now the boss then was a rather acerbic and bristly New Zealander who had once been a racing car driver and now had a couple of flying schools and sold aircraft. I remember once managing to stop him as he taxied out at his usual breakneck speed by standing in front of him with my arms crossed over my head. Uh, he ground to a halt and glared at me uh, as I gingerly stepped in between the two props. Uh, the engines of the Cessna 310, a twin engine, and removed the towing arm that he'd left still attached to the nose wheel. Uh, he never ever mentioned it, and we never spoke of it again. My days used to start by me arriving here uh, just after dawn, unlocking the building and the hangar, about three hangars up in that direction, uh, and one by one dragging the school's aircraft out, started them up and taxiing them, parking them in a nice neat line, on the grass. There wasn't nearly so much tarmac in those days. I never had a title or a job description, so everything that nobody else wanted to do uh, was mine to do. And yes, if you visit the toilets today, I used to clean those 
very bowls. I hoovered and wiped down and cleaned up every day, and every day I took an aircraft off the line and, and washed it. I kept them topped up with fuel, which meant going down to the same pump down there. And I remember during the 1973 fuel crisis having the most terrifying flight of my life because the airport had run out of aviation fuel. So our New Zealander boss decided that the best thing to do was to fly off to Gatwick and refuel and then bring the aircraft back full of fuel and then we could do a day's work. I had never been to Gatwick. I'd never been to a controlled airport before, really. I felt like a country bumpkin sucking a straw who had suddenly been transported into a vast, complicated metropolis full of street-smart kids who knew all the slang and how things were done. But I managed to get back there, mainly because of the patience of the Gatwick air traffic controllers. But we got the airplanes refueled and came back and landed. After a long day, jealously watching all the others climb into our aircraft and go flying. It was my job to tidy up the flight school and then put all the aeroplanes to bed. I would start up each in turn and taxi them just a hundred yards up there to the uh, third hangar and uh, in turn. And as I approached the hangar, I'd pull the mixture lean and the engine would, would stop. I would turn off the magnetos using the key and drop it into the ashtray on the left-hand side of the cockpit. I don't know if that's where all the keys are nowadays, but it's got to be the simplest thing in the world to steal an aeroplane. Uh, and I'd flick the battery off, clamber out, and then take hold of the prop, and it was really just a job of uh, jigsawing the aeroplane into the tiny hangar, pushing them back. And quite often, you'd have to put the wing of the aeroplane you're pushing over the cowling of one behind. And I remember distinctly getting to the entrance of the hangar, pushing back and realizing that the airplane I wanted to go over back there, I'd left the prop vertical. So I went, ah, oh, damn, I'd better go and turn that prop round. So I walked up to the front of this Cessna and I got hold of the prop and moved it horizontal. <laughs> there are some knowing looks here. As I got about halfway round, uh, the engine moved over top dead center. <coughs> and unbelievably to me, about nine inches away, suddenly from the quiet of a beautiful evening, I had a whirling disc of death inches in front of my nose. Now I tried to step away from this monster that the airplane had turned into, but it was pursuing me across the shiny hangar floor as it started to move forwards, and it was sandwiching me against the airplane that i just left behind. So, I don't know, I, I don't think I could ever have repeated the feat, but I ducked down, swung around the propeller, grabbed the strut to try and stop the airplane from moving forwards, but of course all it did was pivot around and was now threatening all the other airplanes in the hangar. So I let go, grabbed the door, luckily I managed to get it open at first go, looked at the offending key, still in the magneto, still set to both, turned it off, and quiet descended. And the airplane stopped, and I was safe. I, I, I looked around the crowded hangar and realized that I, I couldn't understand how I hadn't hit something with this airplane, let alone survived the incident. And apart from a, an incredibly strong smell of exhaust, Everything was undamaged and shiny.
So I wandered outside and sat down with my back against the hangar door, watching a beautiful sunset. And nobody came to ask what had happened. I think I was probably on my own on the airfield. No one inquired why I'd nearly tried to kill myself. But soon I would be joining the Royal Air Force. But I took with me that lesson. You think at 19 you're invulnerable. You think at 20 you're invulnerable. And plenty of times in the Air Force I did things that sort of reflected that. But I always had that little nagging fear that something I was going to do might end up killing me. And I always approached flying with that little lesson behind me. I turned 20 and would very soon be joining the Royal Air Force and they would teach me many other vital lessons. But that was a lesson I learned all by myself and was by far the most important lesson I learned. Nobody's immune, nobody's perfect, nobody can get away with it all the time. And now perhaps I can pass that message on to another generation and they won't have to go through the same trial to learn it. Well, that's it, really. Thanks very much indeed for listening. Uh, before I go, I want to say uh, a big thanks to Neville Bounds, who uh, has come all the way down here to film. Uh, but I suspect all he's really doing is going to steal the audio and put it on the Plain Talking UK podcast. So to all of those uh, reprobates up in Bungie, all the best to you. Thanks for coming down, Nev. Really appreciate it. And thanks very much indeed for listening. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. And if you are enjoying Plane Tales, then please pop across to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice and leave a review. Many thanks for listening.